and welcome to this week's episode of Bad Movie Sunday. My name is Ashley. My name is Amy. <laughs> and we are Bad Movie Sunday. We are a podcast that watches bad movies, so you don't even have to. We roast them. We toast them. And we're gonna have a lot of fun. This week's episode is a special one because it is May the 4th, or as close to May the 4th as we could get this episode to release. It's actually May the 9th, um, if you're listening to this on release. Instead of May the 4th, it's, it's more like um, the 9th of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> like the rise of uh, the Emp 9th strikes back. Wow. Does that work? I love the 9th of Skywalker. Okay, okay. You know, some of those were better than others. Yeah. But <laughs> we need something <laughs> So, yeah, may the 4th be with you. Happy Star Wars Day. I know we can't really go out to celebrate it this year, which is just so heartbreaking. But if you can, I don't know, watch some reruns of The Mandalorian, watch this movie that we're going to be talking about today, which, you know, today we're going to be covering George Lucas's, well, I would say best, most well-known most critically acclaimed movie. Yep. <laughs> Say it with me. Strange Magic. That's right. You got it. <laughs> Strange Magic. Wow. Do you want to do you want to explain uh, a little bit about why you chose this movie? Like did you did you watch this movie when you were a kid or did you just hear that George Lucas did it or explain explain the uh, <laughs> the, the, the background, the, the lore, yes. the history. Yeah. Ooh, we're going to get into that lore. Yeah, no, I did not watch this uh, as a kid. I watched Star Wars as a kid, but this is not Star Wars. I had vaguely heard about this movie just kind of in passing. The only reason I wanted to watch this was because I heard it was directed by George Lucas. And this is one of the only movies that George Lucas has made. I think there's only like two other ones that is not in any way related to Star Wars. <laughs> so I was curious what he did can do when it's not a Star Wars related. Well, (laughs) I still don't quite know the answer to that. (laughs) So, yeah, this movie is a Lucasfilm movie. It's directed by George Lucas. But I was looking up the movie on Wikipedia, as you do the most reliable source, as we all know. And it was actually released under Touchstone Entertainment, even though Disney was the one that actually made it, because... Disney didn't want to be associated with this movie. They really channeled Gemma Collins said, no, I'll get that fire exit door. I'm out. Not for <laughs> <Yeah>. me, love. <laughs> yeah, I, I read, I think I read somewhere that Disney only wanted to make this movie so that they could get the rights to all of the um, Star Wars movies so they could eventually put them on Disney Plus or whatever or own them. Um, so, yeah, this was the price that they had to pay. Uh, strange magic. And just to go back, uh, I'm looking it up right now. It wasn't directed by George Lucas. It was directed by uh, Gary Ridstrom, but it was written and executive produced by George Lucas. So he had a, a heavy hand in making it. And on IMDb, I think it says that he wanted to make this movie for his kids. He wanted, you know, just a a, a movie for his 
two, I think he has two daughters to watch. I think he said something like, Star Wars is like a, a boy's movie, and this is a girl's movie. Which, thanks, George Lucas. We love that. We love equality. Thanks so much. Yeah, I saw the same quote. He was like, yeah, Star Wars, I made it. Star Wars was a movie for 12-year-old boys, and I wanted to make one for 12-year-old girls. We really just got kicked out of the Star Wars fan club, huh? He kicked us out into the cold, (laughs) nothing on our backs. (laughs) We have been disowned by George Lucas, not allowed to like Star Wars anymore. Uh, You heard it here first, folks. But you know what? We can start the Strange Magic fan club. Um, I think we may be the only two people in the world in it, because I don't think anyone else has even seen this movie. Um, so, a very small fan club. But thanks, George Lucas. We love ya. Yeah, thanks for making this movie, you know, especially for us, now that we can't watch Star Wars anymore. So, we need something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of, you mentioned the price that Disney had to pay for making those movies. Speaking of the price, just a little fun fact about this banger of a movie. The budget for this movie was $100 million. And you know what it made back? Oh my god, tell me, tell me. Do you know what it made back out of its $100 million budget? $13 million! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> You know what? I guess it's because all the little girls out there are busy watching Star Wars. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't have a, a gendered concept of movies like George Lucas. We love sexism. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that that didn't help that this movie was only announced two months before its release date. They really had no marketing on this movie at all. Wow. That um, maybe is for the best, though. Because this movie, let me just tell you, does not live up to the uh, Star Wars legacy that George Lucas has uh, built for himself. And just, I I gotta say, while we're on the subject of semi-roasting George Lucas right now, a piece of trivia from IMDb. It said, uh, George Lucas wrote this film because he wanted to make a fun movie and a musical. And we'll get into our thoughts later, but... um, Spoiler alert, I don't think he succeeded on on either count. Oh yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, I doubt anyone has seen this movie, but um, if you don't know anything about it, yeah, you heard that right. This is a musical, and not just any, it's not just a musical, boys. This isn't any high school musical, West Side Story, no, no, no. This is a jukebox musical. Who thought that was a good idea? It's oh, not Yeah. It's not like original songs in this movie. It's like 2000s pop songs. We've got like What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger by Kelly Clarkson. We've got <laughs> I've Got a Feeling by The Black Eyed Peas. We've got Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Like that's what you're uh what you spend your money on for this movie. And they're all like first of all done very badly but we'll get into that later but they're also like the songs appear in the strangest strange magic the strangest <laughs> contexts in this film like there is absolutely no reason why they had to have any songs at all in this movie because half of them just like straight up don't make sense in the scenes that they're in <laughs> yep and i think i read that they debated making this whole movie like zero dialogue they wanted everything to be sung in 2000s pop music so i mean at least in the end we got some amount of dialogue which you know 
take take your peace with that. It's just so strange to me because George Lucas said that he had been developing this film 15 years before it even started production. Gurley really said, Star Wars who? Mm? Don't know her. I'm off to fairyland now. (laughs) Did you say 15 years? Because I could have sworn 15 minutes maximum. (laughs) Put his iPad Nano on shuffle. And he was like, what's bopping today? Lady Gaga, let's put her in. Let's put it, except Lady, the real Lady Gaga would not be in this movie. So let's just have someone sing a terrible rendition of Lady Gaga. Kids love that, right? 12-year-old girls love that? They love that. And you know what? Out of those 15 years that they spent <laughs> pre-production for this movie, five, five of those. It's not even like up-to-date pop music, because five of those years were spent narrowing down the music. George Lucas is like, I had millions of songs. They were all perfect. I had to narrow them down to, like, the best ones that were going to make this movie, like, what it was going to be. And he narrowed it down to, like, bad romance. (laughs) Wow. That was uh, really worth five years of pre-production, huh? Wow. And George Lucas has access to... Who who did the the score for Star Wars? Was it John Williams? I think it was John Williams. He has... Like, the most talented orchestra at his disposal. And he could have, like, used them to be like, hey, I need some, like, cool-ass fairy elf music in my movie. Will you do it? And you know John Williams would have made some fucking bangers. Some just, like, instrumental absolute bops. And yet George Lucas was like, you know what? What if someone just terribly, horribly ruined this Kelly Clarkson song? I love Kelly Clarkson, but you know what I love more? Is someone, like, singing their own karaoke drunk after-work version of Kelly Clarkson. Oh, it is, I mean, such a treat. And we're going to take you through this treat. We're taking you through the Candyland itself. Gonna, gonna, I mean, so many calories in this movie. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about this. I have so much to say. Oh, yeah. But for our audience, most of you who haven't seen the movie Strange Magic, I do have a summary here from IMDb. And the summary says, Goblins, elves, fairies, and imps, and their misadventures sparked by the battle over a powerful potion. That actually sounds like not a bad movie. And also, just like before we super get into it, it was also, I guess, inspired by A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, which I haven't read in school and I know very little about. And I was trying to like do the spark notes, uh, version before we, uh, hopped on this call. And I still like don't for sure know what it's about because there's like four storylines. But anyways, apparently this is like a reimagining of a Midsummer Night's Dream, which is very interesting. And I think we'll talk about that later, but I just wanted to like get that out there before we dove into our breakdown oh girl we love a woman of research we love an intellectual we love an air you date (laughs) (laughs) so also not only i mean not to spoil anything even though we will be spoiling this entire movie just so you know spoiler alert uh not only is this based on a midsummer night's dream but it's also loosely based on beauty and the beast which you will see the connections to when we go through our breakdown scene by scene uh, section but Wow, yeah, I have not read Midsummer Night's Dream either, so I I cannot contribute to how much it relates to that. But I have seen Beauty and the Beast a lot. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We we all know the story of Beauty and the Beast. Um yeah, now that you mention it, it is very Beauty and the Beast. While we're on the topic though of Shakespeare, I do have some a piece of trivia from IMDb, and it says, while the film is mainly influenced by A Midsummer Night's Dream, there are also kind of hints to other Shakespeare works, and most of them, in fact, all of them I'm going to list, I haven't read either, so I cannot attest, but apparently this is the truth, according to IMDb. But it's also influenced by Much Ado About Nothing, uh, because two love haters fall in love themselves. Um, it's influenced by The Taming of the Shrew. Oh, I have read that one. Uh, two sisters, one nice and the other abrasive, are the principal female characters. And you, I'm sorry, did you say two sisters, one nice and the other racist? <laughs> no, I said. I said. That sounds I like said, a terrible place. <laughs> Shakespeare's like, how can we. <laughs> Get the audience all turned up in this round. Uh, let's make one racist. No. <laughs> I said one nice. These are the words that I'm saying that are coming straight from IMDb, by the way. Okay. One nice and the other abrasive. Okay. That is better. <laughs> Imagine this movie except, like, one of them just super famous. <laughs> Oh my god. They're okay, this <laughs> this movie's about like bog people and fairies and bog king comes in like butterfly ass bitch with her <laughs> butterfly wings. <Ugh. laughs> George Lucas is like, how can we bring back the core elements of Jar Jar Bings in this movie? <laughs> One nice and the other abrasive gotcha. <laughs> are the principal female characters. And finally, All's Well, It Ends Well, um, which is apparently about a philandering suitor as the main antagonist. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, Shakespearean elements. I think, in fact, George Lucas, and this is just information I'm pulling out of my ass as four years as a film major and one semester as an English uh, minor. But <laughs> I do think that there are elements of Shakespeare in George Lucas because first of all Shakespeare has his comedies and tragedies and a lot of both of those elements are in Star Wars like Padme dying is uh, one of the tragedies it's like Romeo and Juliet-esque for the comedies there's a lot of people who say they're one person but then turn out to be another person or people who are in disguise and and stuff like that oh my god yes we see that a lot in yeah, in, uh, you know, the reveal of Vader being Luke's dad, the reveal of Leia being his sister. So there's a lot of Shakespearean elements. Also, just to get all <laughs> intellectual on you still, let's, let's keep this train rolling. <laughs> George Lucas famously was a student of Joseph Campbell, who studied all of these myths. He's the one who, who kind of wrote the hero cycle, the hero's journey that uh, I'm sure a lot of people have studied in school like us. And Joseph Campbell's hero's journey draws a lot on uh, Greek mythology, ancient Greek stuff, a lot of, you know, different kinds of ancient mythology. And Shakespeare, even though he lived, you know, centuries and centuries ago, probably drew on those same influences. So Shakespeare and George Lucas, by a matter of degrees, have both uh, been influenced by pretty much the same thing. And so their works are comparable in that way. But, I mean, you wouldn't really know that he's 
you know, a student in some way of Shakespeare by watching this movie. Girly, I thought you were going to say that George Lucas and Shakespeare are on the same level, which, hmm, not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have similar influences, is is all I'll say. Um, just going back, like, a minute or two, spoilers for, like, every Star Wars movie for what we just mentioned. (laughs) I mean, they've been out for, like, 40 years? Keep up. Keep up, man. Keep up, man. (laughs) I remember I was, like, at my... I have little cousins, like, a couple years younger than me, and I remember going over to their house when I was little, myself, when they were littler than I was. They were but young Padawans, if you will, and... Just like talking to my younger cousin and he was like playing the Lego Star Wars thing and Lego Star Wars straight up. I get it's like Lego Star Wars, but it's straight up spoils Star Wars. Like my cousins knew that uh, Luan Lake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my my favorite character is Luan Lake. (laughs) (laughs) My cousins knew that Leia. And Luke <laughs> were siblings, knew that Darth Vader was their father because of the Lego games. And they hadn't even seen, so when they watched the movies, they weren't even surprised. Girly, I was heartbroken. Those are some good reveals. Damn, that's too bad. So now we're going to be getting into this movie, Strange Magic, sadly. Not one of the Star Wars movies, although, you know, I'm pretty sure we could talk about some of the bad ones of that franchise at some point. Um, (laughs) We're going to be going over this movie scene by scene, breaking it down for you, going over the plot, the characters, everything. But before we do, we have a little drinking game for you to make this movie a little bit more enjoyable and a specialty drink that you can make yourself to drink along to. Yep. Okay, so today's drink is... Literally the name of one of the characters in this movie, it's the Sugar Plum Fairy Cocktail. And I'm getting the recipe from the dailymeal.com. So what you're going to need are two ounces of champagne, one ounce of plum wine, one ounce of cranberry juice, and gumdrops for garnish. All you need to do is, in a champagne glass, uh, combine your champagne, plum wine, and cranberry juice, and then garnish with a gumdrop. Really cute. Really cute. And to go along with that drink, as we said, we have a couple points for a drinking game that you can drink along either to this podcast, where we try to yell out drink whenever these things happen, but most of the time, we straight up don't, so you can drink along to the movie if you plan on watching this. I think we're going to go back and forth. I only have, like, two points, because these two points happen a lot in the movie, and... You're about to get turned if you do more than that. So my first point is every time there's this song. Oh, yeah. This one, I think you're going to get turned if you just do that one. Um, Yeah, that was one of my two. And my only other one is every time the Bog King's mom tries to set him up with someone. Oh, that's good. <laughs> my last one is every time someone says the words love potion. Oh, that's another good one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're going to get turned no matter which one of these you choose, uh, especially if you choose more than one. So be careful. Be be safe out there, kids. And in the meantime, we are going to be going over the specifics for this movie, breaking it down scene by scene. So you have been warned. 
for spoilers. Now, okay. Let's try to explain this movie. So, basically, this is an animated movie. It's about, like, fairies and goblins and elves and stuff and whatever. So, the kingdom, the magical land of this movie is divided into two sections. We've got the fairy kingdom, which is all light and fluffy and flowers and the main characters on that side are all like pretty elven butterfly fairies and then on the other side we've got the dark forest which is all dark and dank and it's like a half bog half jungle forest and all the creatures are like rad little crusty goblins (laughs) and on the border between those two sections grow these magical primrose flowers which are the main ingredients that you need to brew a love potion so the bad guy from the dark forest his name is the bog king yes that's his name first name bog last name king pre first name the <laughs> and he is played by none other than uh, alan cumming yes mr floop himself from spy kids <laughs> this cast is like ridiculously good for the the movie that it turned out to be. So yeah, we have Alan Cumming as the Bog King. We have uh Evan Rachel Wood as our main character, Marianne. Then later we get introduced to the Sugar Plum Fairy, who's played by Kristen Chenoweth. I feel like she is too good of a singer to be in this movie. Oh, yeah, especially compared to every other singer in this movie. <laughs> no shade. But, like, some of the song moments, I wonder if they could have hired actual singers for. <laughs> but, I mean, sometimes in some of the songs, especially, like, the slower songs, like, the actors aren't terrible singers. I think it's just the way that they kind of tried to remix the songs and make them, like, more their own and it sounded like so out of place and so weird especially since this is all taking place in like a fairy magical kingdom type thing and then they come out playing like kelly clarkson and you're like what what's going on here (laughs) so yeah i don't think they're necessarily awful singers i just think that the way that they were asked to sing these songs is like it did not fit the tone of the scenes and it did not sound good and then they they would like remix the songs in a weird way and combine like mash up two songs that just don't go well together and sometimes they would just sing like two sentences of a song and just like move on (laughs) yeah it's a strange mix and the thing is that they start you know the first song in this movie starts off kind of like instrumental i think it's like i can't help falling in love with you which is probably the main song that they sing in this movie like a lot and it starts off with like this beautiful instrumental i'm like hmm is that i can't help falling in love with you that's weird i thought it was going to be like this like bridgerton-esque thing (laughs) where they take modern songs and just kind of put them in as cute instrumentals um and i was like "Mm, that's kind of weird but also might work and then nope they just like straight out burst up burst up (laughs) straight out bursting the song and i some of them work and some of them don't the songs that are supposed to be like slow are not slow and they turn some of them randomly rock but then mix them with a slow song the music mixing is strange to say the least in this movie 
Yeah, I feel like if they had done something like Shrek, which, by the way, the soundtrack, hella good. Listen to it unironically. I love it. But the thing about Shrek is that the very first scene, they come out, they state their intent with the first song, All Star. He's like opening the door to his outhouse or or something like that. And it starts playing and you're like, oh my god, I know exactly the tone that this movie's going to take on. And it's a similar kind of movie where there's like magical creatures and it takes place in this kingdom, like fairy tale kind of land. But first of all, obviously they, they don't sing all of the songs in Shrek. They don't try to remix the songs. The songs are just, you know, whatever the songs are, sung by the original artist. And they fit in the scenes so well. It's just not the same with this movie. It's just something, something's completely off. I feel like you can do pop songs in like an old timey kind of story if you do them well, like Shrek did. Shrek, unbeatable in this category. Best soundtrack of any animated fairy tale esque music ever. Um, so I feel like they could have done that or they could have gone full. John Williams had a, a, an amazing score, but they just kind of like, hey, let's do karaoke night. Hey, hey, gang, let's uh, go out for karaoke. And they just recorded the whole thing. They're like, yeah, I think we got a movie here. Yeah, they were like, hey, let's get some Korean barbecue. Just like go out. We're just going to sing these. Yeah, I agree. Shrek, beautiful comparison because Shrek is one of the like unironically best examples of a jukebox musical that's like kind of not even a jukebox musical because Shrek, like they have songs like All Star, right, which are not part of the movie. You know, like it's coming in as a soundtrack. It's coming in over top of the movie. And then you've got, oh, I can't even think of it. But like one's the jo- don- donkey, <laughs> one's the donkey sings in the movie and he's actually the one singing. And you got those two kind of juxtaposing examples of how they use pop songs in Shrek. And so in the movie, in Shrek the movie, whenever Shrek is like, donkey, stop singing, you like, you get it because Donkey is the one singing these songs over and over and it gets kind of annoying according according to Shrek. But in this movie, every one of the songs is sung by a character. So there's a similar moment or a couple similar moments in this movie where the Bog King, who's like the main bad guy in this movie, gets really annoyed at these characters singing. He's like, stop fucking singing. But then, like, the next scene, he bursts out into song. And you're like, do you hate music or not? Because whereas Donkey was the basically the only one singing in Shrek, every character is singing in this movie. So it's just kind of weird to get annoyed at someone singing when everyone is singing, including you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, the thing about the Bog King just, like, bursting out into song, it's like, man, I thought you were my guy. I thought I was looking at this world through your eyes, in the eyes of a song hater. Um, normally I'm not. Ever since I started watching this movie, I have become a song hater, a music hater. Um, I, I thought you were my guy, Bog King. And then all of a sudden you betray me, you start singing yourself. Um, I don't like that. Yeah, the the songs don't really do much in terms of making any of the characters like more sympathetic uh because i'm just like shut the f up dude i don't care shut the hell your mouth man yep just shut and again like these songs it's not just like once that they come up these songs come up like multiple times (laughs) like the same song like they sing the whole ass same song again and you're like we just heard this 
why are we lit? You cut off so much screen time of this already kind of short movie by just not repeating the same songs over and over again. I mean, he, George Lucas spent five years narrowing down these songs to the perfect ones. And his what he came to for the perfect songs was the same one, but three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... And by the way, I love musicals also i you saw shrek the musical right we have musicals (laughs) (laughs) we're we're not i i understand people who are like watching musicals and they're like you know what i don't get why people burst into song and you know sing their thoughts all the time again oh that's another comparison with shakespeare songs and musicals are basically soliloquies in shakespeare where usually people who aren't part of the song can't hear them or they're not like part of the scene um just like soliloquies where they just like step forward and then they say their little monologue and then they step back into the scene so i understand why people are like i don't know what but they're not singing their thoughts in this movie they're singing like there's no reason for these songs to even be in this movie because they're just singing random songs they're just like "Mm, let me just turn on the radio it's like i guess the songs are kind of telling you what they're feeling but like just tell us what you're feeling, like, using your words? Like, you don't have to sing them. Yeah, okay, excellent point. Songs in musicals, and even in jukebox musicals, are meant to kind of get you into the character's head or drive along the plot or something like that. But in this movie, it's like the girl breaks up with her boyfriend and then starts singing Bad Romance. I'm in a bad romance. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, we know. You guys aren't together anymore. Or the main character girl is doting on her boyfriend. And she's like, oh, my God, I love you so much. And then she sings, I can't help falling in love with you. And you're like, "Okay, yeah, like we got that from the line that you said right before you sang the song. Like you didn't need an extra three and a half minutes of just an extension of I'm in love with this boy because we already know that because you say it already. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just, it served really no purpose, uh, except to annoy us. Um, So, yeah, okay, we we start off with this really bad cover of I Can't Help Falling in Love, and then it goes downhill from there for the rest of the movie. No, (laughs) it's, it's, uh, we get introduced to our main character, Marianne. It's her wedding day. She's like this fairy type girl she's just like flying around zipping around being all happy and in love and we also get introduced to her sister dawn and her fiance roland and this is just another side note this is something else that just felt so out of place for me is why did roland have a southern accent and he was the only fairy in all of the land who had like a like a southern accent. <laughs> oh yeah, girly. I saw um I saw a YouTube video of some guy that <laughs> said that this who who played a uh, Roland was it Alan Cumming? Oh no, that was uh, the Bog King. Who whoever played Roland kind of sounded like a mix of Nicolas Cage and Elvis Presley. And you know what? They're kind of right. <laughs> and it was so <laughs> off putting. It was like a weird southern accent. He was like, oh, come with me, doll. And you're like, what are you? This is a fantasy movie. (laughs) Yeah, you expect either like, well, I mean, we think of them as neutral accents, but like, you know, the flat American accent, kind of like the way that we speak, the two of us. Or you expect like the 
oh, oh, my liege, like the, the medieval kind of thing. And Ew. anything other than those two options is so jarring. Like, and he was like the only one. And I was like, what is the point? What is the point of that? What is the point? And especially because he's literally the... Okay, yeah, whoa, I just thought of another great example of bad accents in this movie. But okay, he's the only one with this weird southern accent. Everyone else in this fairy realm has like a neutral American accent. And then flip to the other side, the bog kingdom, Right where half of the minions have British accents, half of them have American accents, we meet the Bog King's mom, who has an American accent. The Bog King himself? Scottish. <laughs> what? Where would you learn a Scottish accent from if everyone's American? Okay, this is, this is really weird. Okay, so the Bog King's dad must have been Scottish, because we don't know anything about his dad, right? Anything could have happened unless did his mom mention anything i don't think so um his mom by the way is played by maya rudolph another just what? amazing actress who is too good to be this movie. <laughs> damn did not recognize her at all <laughs> yeah she did a, i mean she did a great job it's just she deserves better you know <laughs> girly really got the part for this movie she was so excited until she saw the script and then she was like i gotta disguise my voice no one can know i'm in this movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh man. I mean the the voice actors did their best with the uh script that George Lucas gave them, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and so so we get introduced to uh our main characters, uh Marianne super happy to finally marry her fiance Roland, and then like immediately we find out that Roland is cheating on her and she finds him making out with some other fairy girl and she calls off the wedding. She never wants to love again. She sings a song about never wanting to love again. <laughs> she goes through this like emo makeup transformation where she puts on like some some heavy eyeliner, purple eyeshadow or something, and she calls off love forever. Also, by the way, the uh fairy king, her dad, is modeled after George Lucas himself. <laughs> That's what I I thought he looked like George Lucas. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so Marianne, our main character, Miss I'm not like other girls, Miss Girl Boss, she decides she has this goth breakup makeover. Honestly, looks so much better on her um than she did in the beginning, not gonna lie. Also, the dude that cheated on her, her mm, kind of fiance to be Roland, uh turns out he was just with her because he wanted to become king because she is a princess. She's the heir to the fairy realm and he just wanted the army that would come with that and that's kind of a his whole spiel in this movie is he keeps trying to get back together with this uh, main character princess because he just really wants this army for what hmm? we don't know he just wants an army <laughs> <laughs> and another thing that i don't understand about this movie is the dad like george lucas fairy dad he after Marianne goes to him and she's like, I'm calling the wedding off because he cheated on me on my wedding day. The dad for the rest of the movie is like, you know what? He's actually not a bad guy. And I think you should marry him. Like, he's just going after your, your money, dude. Like, what is there to even consider here? He's like, you know what? He's actually not a bad guy. Like, yeah, he actually is, though. 
Yeah, like I know that he cheated on you with some random girl and he's been doing that for a while and he literally cheated like on your wedding day and he was only with you to get my army. But deep down, I think he's a pretty good guy, you know, George, George, what are you trying to say here? (laughs) Yeah. So after that, she goes through her whole makeover and stuff. Um, We also get a parallel with the Bog King, who also hates love. And his mom is trying to set him up with someone. She keeps, like, bringing people in, like, hey, how about this girl? Hey, how about this girl? He's like, no, dude, I told you. I'm, like, done with love. I don't ever want to fall in love. So that's not going to happen. Take a drink, by the way, because I think in one of the first scenes, she tries to set him up. Um, (laughs) And take a drink like three times for um, we've already covered like three different songs at this point. (laughs) And because the Bog King is like done with love, we don't know what happened to him yet to make him so jaded, but he hates love. So remember how I mentioned that these magical love roses grow along the border of these two realms. He decrees that all of them be cut down so that no one can ever make a love potion again. And that's his whole thing is he wants to keep cutting down these flowers. Yeah. And I, th- I guess it's kind of like illegal to be in possession of a, of a flower or something like that. Then we kind of cut to Marianne's little sister, Dawn, who is now basically the opposite of Marianne. Marianne doesn't want to fall in love. Dawn is like infatuated with a bunch of people. She's always like looking for a guy. She wants to go to the spring ball to meet someone. And at this point, we also get introduced to her best friend, Sunny, who is like obviously super into Don. He wants Don, but Don kind of like doesn't really see him that way. And then, you know, Sunny is introduced, of course, singing her a song. How else are we going to introduce people in this movie? Then a <laughs> lizard attacks them. <laughs> and uh, Sunny gets like slammed by the lizard tail or something and goes into the dark side of the forest. He finds one of the flower petals and he's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have this. So he kind of hides it away, um, which remember that because that comes back later in the movie. So they escape this little, well, big lizard. They make it back to the fairy kingdom just in time for this rad mixer, rad boy-girl dance that they're having back at the kingdom where oh, Mr. Tight Asshole himself, Roland, shows up because uh, he still wants to be king. He still wants to marry Marianne. Mary, Mary. It's funny. But she's, <laughs> girl boss is not having it. Um, he sings a song about how much he wants her back, and she sings a song about how much she doesn't want that. <laughs> so it doesn't work. He's not able to get her back uh, through, of course, the magical means of music. So he decides that the only way to win her back is to make a love potion and force her to fall in love with him. But of course, being him, he doesn't want to do it himself. So he runs into Sonny, who is, as we mentioned, the little best friend of Marianne's sister, Dawn. A lot of relationships here. Who, of course, he has a crush on Dawn. He wants her to love him. She doesn't love him back. Sonny more like... More like Simpney. <laughs> <laughs> so Roland sees that and he's like, hmm, I can use this to my advantage. So he coerces Sonny 
to go get a love potion for him. He's like, hmm, if you go get us a love potion, we can both use it to get what we want. And Sonny's like, yeah, roofies sound like a great idea. So he uh, decides, yeah, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do now. This is my character. I'm straight up going to roofie the girl that I like. So he decides to go into the dark forest to get the, uh, to make a love potion. Now, here's how you make a love potion, right? One of those magical flowers that grows along the border. You got to pick a petal of that. Which, remember, Sonny already found one and he hid it amongst the brambles, the leaves. So he already has a petal that he can go make a love potion with. But to actually make the love potion, you have to bring it to the Sugar Plum Fairy, who is the only person, I guess, that can actually make a love potion with the petal. But sadly, she is locked away in the Bog Kingdom. She's a prisoner of the Bog King, so Sunny has to go on a journey to go find her so that she can make the potion for him. Yeah, and I just gotta pose another question, because you know your girl is confused. So, okay, we have already established that Sunny is, like, best friends with Dawn, and Marianne is Dawn's sister. So Sunny, like, basically betrayed his best friend's sister in order to help Roland, the guy who cheated on his best friend's sister, like, not very long ago. He's like, hey, you're the cheater dude that everyone, like, kind of hates and super duper sucks? Yeah, I'll work with you. Like, what? Why are you working with him, bitch? Like, I know he needs a cut of the love potion, but, like, Roland? You're gonna work with Roland? You're gonna work with Roland? Also, I feel like a better plan there would be just, like, tell Don how you feel, maybe? Because he's does he has not done that at this point. He's straight up just, like, still simping for her. He's like, hmm, Don. But, like, mm, he's just kind of admiring her from afar and never really tells her that he has a thing for her. So, of course, she doesn't know. So he's like, damn, she'll never love me. But, like, because she doesn't know. And he's, like, actively helping Don, like, try to get with other people. He's like, yeah, hey, I set up a date for you with uh, Mark or whatever. Oh, oh, hey, uh, uh, Jimbo uh, is ready to, to have that first dance with you at the ball because I set that up for you. Like, just don't do that. Just be like, hey, what if I took you to the dance instead? Like, don't let your dreams be dreams. Go and chase those dreams, but not through a love potion because that's hella creepy. Instead, he decides the answer, as always, is drugs. Do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to make this love potion. He's got his petal. He's ready. All he needs now is to find the sugar plum fairy. So he sets off into the dark forest to find it. And um, he gets into some shenanigans. There's a bunch of side characters that don't really matter for the plot. But eventually he makes it to the dungeon of the Bog King, where he finds the Sugar Plum Fairy, and she makes the potion for him in return for setting her free, which he does. Although she's immediately recaptured, so that didn't really have any emphasis on the plot. That's fine. So he gets the love potion, and he makes it back to the Fairy Kingdom, and he manages to dump the potion onto Dawn, who he likes, but she gets kidnapped by the Bog King, before uh, it can actually take effect. Because here's how the love potions work. Is you gotta 
dust it onto the person that you're into. And then once they open their eyes, you have to be the first one that they see. But she gets captured before she can open her eyes. So he's not the first one that she sees because she's in like this little sack being taken away to the bog kingdom again. Why the bog king captured the sister? Kind of unclear. I think, well, I don't think because I don't know. He just captured her. (laughs) I think uh, she's, like, taken hostage by the Bog King because he's like, hey, give me back that potion. But this, like, fucking rat thing takes the potion. This kind of rat, I don't know what it is. It's an imp, I think, that Sunny met on his journey to the Bog Kingdom. So the imp takes the potion and the Bog King is like, I need that potion back so I can, like, destroy it. So I'm going to take Dawn and when you bring me that potion by sunrise or whatever, then I'll give you back Dawn, I think. Right? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, of course, Marianne being Dawn's sister and kind of a badass uh, right now, she wants to go get her sister back. She's like, what the hell? You just kidnapped my sister. I'm going to go rescue her. So she flies off into the dark forest to go rescue her sister, who's now being held in the same dungeons at the Bog King's palace again. We're just going straight back there. So she makes it to the palace, fights the Bog King, wins. So the Bog King is like, fine, I'll take you to see your sister. But a bit of change of plans here because the sister, when she arrived at the Bog King's palace, ended up seeing the Bog King as the first person she saw when she opened her eyes. So the love potion took effect on her. But she saw the Bog King. So the sister is now in love with the Bog King. So the sister doesn't want to leave, even though she's technically free. She wants to stay with the Bog King because she loves her little boggy woggy. So (laughs) so Marianne is like, okay, fine. If my sister won't leave here, we just got to find the antidote to make her not in love with the Bog King anymore. So they ask the sugar plum fairy what the antidote is. And she says it's real love, which they're kind of not really sure what to do about that at this point. And while Marianne is like here at the Bog King's palace while they're like fighting and whatever, they're also like kind of flirting. They're like bonding over their shared hatred of love. Marianne is like, I got my heart broken once and Bog King is like, bet, you think you're broken? You merely adopted the dark. I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, can I just say one thing about the antidote? So when they're asking the sugar plum fairy, like, hey, what's the uh, what's the antidote? How do we like fix this problem? The sugar plum fairy is like, I'll give you a riddle to guide you in in figuring out what the what the antidote is. And her riddle was. The antidote is the one thing more powerful than the potion. Yeah, that's not a riddle, though. That's the definition of an antidote. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) That's not really a riddle, though, is it? It's just you're just explaining what an antidote is. Like, we know that. Uh, And then she, yeah, she tells this complicated story about how not, not actually, it's not that complicated. She tells a story about how the Bog King fell in love with this woman and he like uh love potioned her but she even with the love potion she wouldn't fall in love with him because she already was in love with someone else and that's when he like vowed never to fall in love again 
But then, as Ashley said, there's some a little bit of flirting, a little bit of banter between the Bog King and Marianne, <laughs> two love haters falling in love. And okay, honestly, up until this point in the movie, I was like, this movie sucks. Every aspect <laughs> of this movie sucks. But I kind of like the the little romance between oh. Bog King and Marianne because they're both like so awkward about it. They both have like the the shared experience. There's that whole like enemies to lovers vibe yeah, going on. A little spite. It was very good. I was worried that they would have the Bog King fall in love with Dawn because Dawn is like um love potioned and she's like infatuated with the bog king but i like that he was like ugh get get that away from me i don't i don't want to be part of your little love potion thing um i like that he fell in love with marianne because i was like scared i was like ugh don't please don't fall in love with your prisoner bitch yeah oh my god thank god he didn't fall in love with her brother because not only is dawn his prisoner but she's also like not really in love with him it's like a poosh indeed so that would be i was afraid of that too i thought i was like that's gonna be so problematic if he starts to fall in love with this girl and it's all fake and uh, but it kind of turned me around at this point because i was same i was actually like really invested in this romance (laughs) i'm such a huge fan of like enemies to lovers or like where the good guy gets with the bad guy i ooh, that's like such a spicy oh i love it i'm so glad they went that route yeah honestly i think the romance between bog king and marianne is like the best part of this whole movie like i don't give a fuck about any of the side characters like i don't care about the singing i don't care about whatever but the romance the little spicy little romance i love that Oh, yes, I loved it. It was so, I agree, the best part of this movie, I would say. It's like, well, it's about as subtle as, like, the jeans guy in The Mandalorian, but I was, like, into it. (laughs) So they're, like, singing all these love songs to each other. Like we said, she learns his backstory about why he's so jaded about love, because he, like, some girl rejected him. And then he learns why she's so jaded about love. And they're like bonding over this stuff. They're like half fighting, half flirting. And, it, and it's working. But then just as they're like at the peak of their romance, fucking Roland comes back into this movie. And turns out the king of the fairies gave Roland his stupid ass army so that he could go storm the Bog King's palace. And now Roland is like at the gates about to co- commit <laughs> commit war, whatever the <laughs> wording is. <laughs> about to commit war on this uh, Bog King. But Bog King said, not on my watch. And he sacrifices himself to get Marianne and Dawn out to safety. Um, except jokes, he's uh, mega super alive because this is a kid's movie. And they can't do that. So he is alive. He like rises from the dust or whatever. He's like, jokes, I'm totally cool. And of course, uh, Marianne is like super happy about that. They get to reunite. But just before they can, Roland comes storming back and he takes what's left of the love potion and poofs it onto Marianne. And we think for a moment that, oh, no, she's going to fall in love with this guy. But jokes, there's only like five minutes left of the movie, so that can't happen. And it, it turns out the love potion didn't work on her. Why? Because she's already in love with the Bog King. And they finally get to get together. 
<laughs> they finally get to get together. That's a fun. I love English. <laughs> <laughs> and Sunny and Dawn reunite. They get together because the love potion here as well. I love some things about this movie and I hate some other things. The love potion that Dawn was under, where she was in love with the Bog King because of this potion, suddenly breaks because she realizes that she is in love with Sunny now. Which, that came out of nowhere. But mm, they get to get together. <laughs> I love saying that. I at the end. That. <laughs> um, and that's the end of the movie. Everyone gets together. Super fun. There's like this weird drugged up kaleidoscope uh, montage song at the end. Don't know what that was about. But mm, happy ending. Yeah. And George Lucas... Taken a, a page out of the MCU, included a post credit scene. I don't know if you got to this part, but, <laughs> did. but there's a post credit scene of Roland who, for some reason, he got uh, love potioned himself and then he falls into the off this cliff or something. Anyway, so the uh, the end credit scene is at the bottom of the cliff. He falls in love with this like fucking ugly ass caterpillar or something some bug i don't know he's like oh my god you're the most beautiful thing i've ever seen oh except he says it in his out of place southern accent <laughs> which i'm not gonna do but you're the most beautiful bug i did ever see <laughs> that was good thank you very much thank you kindly oh my god <laughs> and, and uh that's the end of the movie um thanks george lucas Thanks, George. Um, I really, you know what? He was right. Star Wars is donezo. Star Wars is for boys. I don't know what I was thinking getting into Star Wars. We're not even allowed to at this point. This movie is so much better, especially for girls. I agree. He really did a number on us. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's just get into it. Let's get into our final thoughts. I feel like while we're on the subject of George Lucas... Um, he's really good at world building in, in Star Wars. I feel like he could have done a little bit more world building in this movie. Also, I know it has a much shorter runtime and it's not part of a series, but like I was confused at parts because there's this one part, I think it's near the beginning when Marianne is getting ready for her wedding where she's like getting dressed and singing and she's like a fairy right so she's like pretty small but then there were like smaller fairies like helping her put her dress on like the mice and cinderella and i'm like hang on hang on how many like levels slash sizes of fairies are there in this so <laughs> and i was like what is sunny because why does he look like a troll's doll like what's going on there <laughs> Yeah, I, good point. I agree. The, I think the world building was so bad in this movie. Star Wars, I mean, especially in the later movies and suffice to say the prequels did a good job of building up the world and more planets and the political systems and uh, everything. You know, you've seen Star Wars, um, except we haven't because we're girls. <laughs> um, So... This movie, I think one of the weakest points besides the dialogue, which was so bad and awkward and wow, the writers were not great on this movie. Um, the world building was 
not good. It like they set up this really cool idea of this realm that's divided between the light fairy guys and the bad the the bog baddies, and they just like I feel like they could have, and well, well, no, I'll talk about it now. We have a section a little later where we talk about things that we would change if we would make this movie ourselves. Um, or if we had any sort of say in this movie. And this is one of the things I would change uh, if they were to remix this movie. Remix this movie? If they were to remake this movie. Slash remix, maybe. <laughs> I feel like remix some of these songs... Like a, a, like a Lady Gaga song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, kind of uh, ironic that they had Bad Romance as a song in this movie. And yet the romance was the best part of this movie. <laughs> it wasn't bad. <laughs> the romance was really good. I, I feel like another thing that um kind of hurt the movie a little bit was the pacing of it like the beginning was so slow but then in the last 30 or 40 minutes when Marianne finally meets the bog king is when it finally picks up but like I feel like they could have had time to explore more of the world building um because they wasted a lot of time doing like the same thing like Sunny went to the bog king's castle and then he came back and then he had to go back again immediately like why not do just like a whole journey and explain you know aspects of the world while you're on this big old journey yes especially because they have this whole thing where the world is divided right the light and the dark ooh kind of like star wars <laughs> but we don't really get much divide during this movie like visually you can tell that you know we got the fairies and we got the little imps and goblins and stuff on the other side. But I feel like they could have really played up the differences between the realms and really had, like, I don't know, if the two realms were, like, actually warring with each other, then there would have been more stakes for the different races not crossing the border, which they make a big deal of, but also they don't explain it at all. And they don't really explain much between, like, how the realms are different besides just one is rainbow and one is black, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they didn't explain any of that. Yeah, I feel like they could have rearranged the story a little bit. Also, like, the Bog King and the Fairy King, like, don't do anything kingly. Like, if there was a war, we could see how both sides are, like, fighting. But, like, literally neither of them do any any sort of duties. They just have the title. Unless that's his name. Literally, <laughs> their last name is King. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I feel like there was a lot more to be explored there. Yeah, especially because Roland's whole character is he's like, I want to marry Princess Marianne because I want to be king and have my army. But for what? Like, you did this for what? For why? You want an army just for the power of it? For no... Like, if he, if the two places were at war and, say, maybe Marianne wanted to peacefully negotiate with the bog kingdom and Roland was like no we need to take them down we need to go to war with them and that's why he wants this big army because he wants the thrill of war or whatever and he wants to go charging in then that would make more sense for why he wants to be in charge of how this conflict is taken care of but in this movie he just like wants an army for like bad guy reasons I guess <laughs> doesn't make any sense George you could have done better also just because this is my area of expertise, the character designs in this movie were not good. <laughs> I saw a lot of reviews saying that one of the only redeeming qualities about this movie was the animation and the visuals. I think 
that was one of the worst parts of this movie. The because this is an animated movie, you could do anything. I, literally, the sky is there is no limit. Not even the sky is your limit. You can go beyond. You space is your limit for what you can do in animation. And they decided to go with the most typical, boring character. It's like, yeah, okay, um, we've got this fantasy light fairy realm what are we gonna do with them oh it's elves with wings uh and then we've got this bad bog kingdom what are we gonna do with them um just like goblins <laughs> they they look so ugly <laughs> just the animation itself it's like really ugly i, I just the character designs oh they remind me of did you ever watch that surprisingly similar animated movie as a kid arthur and the invisibles character mm. design is almost identical to that movie. No, I haven't, but I have heard of it. Was it like the same animation studio that did it? Like, or it might have been a different studio, but it's the same type of like, oh, these are little fairy people, so they're gonna have pointed ears and large eyes and butterfly wings. And you're like, okay, every other fantasy design does that same thing. You know what I mean? Like, Arthur also has the bad guy, which is some bog bug man, and you're like. That's the same character. You can't make up a di- <sighs> It's fine. It's kind, of, it's kind of ironic, too, that, like, George... Remember that whole thing in the sixth Star Wars movie? The You know how it takes place on the forest moon of Endor with all the Ewoks and everything? Originally, that was supposed to be Kashyyyk with a bunch of Wookiees and stuff, which would have been so rad, and I'm glad we finally got to see Kashyyyk in episode three, but whatever. It was supposed to be in episode six. And they changed it because of marketing and toy reasons. Was because the executives were like, no one's going to buy a Wookiee toy. We got to make some cute, cute little guys. We're going to make these little teddy bears, the characters in this movie. So they made End- the moon of Endor with the Ewoks so that they could sell more toys. So <laughs> it just kind of is ironic that they made the whole sixth movie, they changed half the plot to make everything cuter. And with this movie, everything is so ugly. Like, could you imagine <laughs> getting a toy of a character in this movie? Because I would have nightmares. If I Ooh, got a the toy Bog King. Oh, 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 Merry Christmas. Oh, it's the Bog King. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> oh, thanks. It's a, um,. It's a, a centipede spider. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This is what I've always wanted. It's so fun that I got a toy of it. Like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> They're so ugly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just another comparison with Shrek is the characters in Shrek are all so, like, diverse. We got the ogres. We got donkeys. We got cats. Like, there's there's a lot of different elements. And... You know, the beauty standard, I guess, in that world is also part of the story because Fiona's like, oh, no one's ever going to love me. I'm so fucking ugly. I'm an ogre. I'm fucking an ogre. And uh, that, like, comes into play. But, like, I don't know. They don't really they don't really address any of how anyone looks in this movie. It's like, no, but that's like George Lucas said when he was talking about this movie that apparently the message of this movie is supposed to be because it's loosely based on uh, Beauty and the Beast. It's supposed to be like a don't judge the book by its cover. Uh, It's supposed to be about finding beauty in strange places. 
But like we don't get a lot of that in this movie because they don't play up enough the difference between the two realms. We don't get like a uh, fairy pretty, bogman ugly. We don't get a lot of that in this movie. So if they played that up more. We would get the whole thing of like, oh, this pretty fairy is falling for this ugly bog bugman. But they don't do that at all in this movie. So uh, we don't really get that message that I think it was trying to get across. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Because we as the audience know like, oh, Marianne's supposed to be pretty because she looks like a human. Bogman's supposed to be ugly because he looks like a, a stick bug or something, whatever he is. But we don't know how the characters in this world feel about other types of characters in this world. Like, we don't know is the bog dude is his species like i i guess we don't really see any of his species even his mom doesn't really look like him but but, <laughs> but we don't get like how the other species feel about his species are they like oh my god ugly as fuck or are they like yeah he's just a guy he's just a guy in in our world like the world building uh we needed george right especially because there's a like a d list plot going on in the background where this little rat <laughs> or imp whatever decides he's like a little mischievous boy and he decides to sprinkle the love potion on random creatures about the forest and so there's like a mushroom that falls in love with like a blade of grass and a goblin falls in love with an imp and like so on and the thing is that that is played off more like oh and they all get locked up and everything and they get separated. But that's played off more like, oh, we need to lock them up because they were affected by a love potion and the love potion is not supposed to exist. Not because they're different species falling in love with one another. So that doesn't seem to be an issue in this world. It's not like, oh, you can't be with the Bog King because he's a bug man or whatever. It's like you can't fall in love with him because love is bad. So there's no like they don't talk about the looks part of it and the judging a book by cover because it's all supposed to do with the love potion is bad versus falling in love with an ugly man is bad <laughs> whatever <laughs> <laughs> but yeah agreed oh yeah. also just a quick point i noticed while this movie itself is kind of ugly <laughs> there are some really nice the way that some scenes are framed and speaking of because this is a musical well it's trying to be a musical. And we talked about before sort of comparing it to actual stage musicals. I think this would have been so much better rather than an animated movie. It would have been so much better as like a stage production. I think there were some really great choreography moments just because the, the fairies in this movie have these like gorgeous butterfly wings and they do these great moments where like the butterfly wings there's a bunch of fairies and all their wings make up a specific pattern and we see it from above and they like dance in a specific line that makes their wings look like a, a wave or whatever. And it's really like those specific scenes where there is like an entourage of people and they're all like making images and shapes and stuff with their wings. Those are beautiful. And I think that could be done really fantastically as a stage production. I just don't know how well it worked in animation for some reason, which is weird because for animation, it's like you got no limit for what you could do. You think you could do more with animation, but I think like this would make a better stage production or an actual musical than it did uh, just a kid's movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that goes back to uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream, where they in that 
play, which I haven't read, I think there are a lot of, you know, fairies and, and different kinds of magical species. And they obviously, Shakespeare had to work that into a play uh, format. And I think you're right. I think that could absolutely be like an actual musical with original music and, and these big dance numbers and stuff like that. Or if they wanted to keep the animation style, they could have I mean, like you were saying, really went for it. Sky's the limit. They could have done like a musical um, with choreography from like the the golden age of musicals in like the 40s and 50s where there were these huge like musical numbers. Uh, they could have them in the sky while they're flying. There's like limitless possibilities in this movie. Uh, but they don't use them. <laughs> yeah. <Sadly. laughs> Is there anything else you would change if we were to remake this movie ourselves or if we had any say in how this movie came out? Yeah, okay. I feel like we talked enough about the the music aspect of it, which was like the main <laughs> thing I, I would have changed. But I think the last thing I would have changed is kind of to do with that. This movie, because he wanted to do like a Shakespeare retelling and because he wanted to do this jukebox musical for some reason, I feel like the elements of both were like the musical aspect takes away from the story. So I feel like either they should have focused on doing a good Shakespeare retelling that is character driven with, you know, more dialogue than music uh, and like practically no pop songs and, and stuff like that that they have to sing along to or they should have done like a fun jukebox musical that doesn't rely heavily on plot and character it just feels like really messy to include both of the elements but not to do either of them very well yeah agreed or just I yeah well we've talked too much about the music already but like we already mentioned to have better different music that actually like drives the plot along or explains something about the character instead of the girl being like I'm sad and then singing a song about how she's sad it's like yeah we get that you get that, that. <laughs> um one last thing Roland's accent cut it just cut it bye 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 we don't need that just get I don't know they're there are a lot of other accents that they used in this movie that kind of made sense, but his just didn't for some reason. Super didn't. Get him out. Either get him to be played by Nicolas Cage or don't put the accent in these. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what we thought about this movie. We got a lot of thoughts. Now we're going to share with you what the internet thought about this movie. We've got a couple IMDb reviews, a couple letterbox reviews. Let's go for IMDb first. We have two reviews here the first is by user teal balloon who gave it a one out of ten and their tagline is horrible i expected so much more from george lucas what went through lucas's mind when he concocted the script for this film i expected so much more originality from him than what was delivered this film so desperately wants to be an old-school Disney movie. I hated hearing all the radio pop songs redone. It would have been a bit less torturous if the soundtrack was more original. The main characters in this film, in quotations, look grotesque. I mean, like a real eyesore. I could not stand all the singing. It was way overkill. I need some more dialogue in between, but they didn't give the viewers enough room to breathe. It was an onslaught of melodic torture that seemed endless. You cannot create something this bad by mistake. It must be carried out with great precision and intent. 
Avoid this abomination at all costs. Damn. They're not wrong, though. They're not, Yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> they kill them, but they're not wrong. And the last and final, the last and final, well, going on to thesaurus.com here, the last, the final, the penultimate, <laughs> or the ultimate <laughs> uh, review we have is by user Kokision, who also gave it a 1 out of 10. And their tagline is, it was a good tech demo. <laughs> so about halfway in, I realized something. This was a film. Like, people wrote this, they pitched it, they got money, got a cast and crew, made it, then released it. I seriously thought that this film was just one big tech demo for LucasArts to show off a new animating engine. (laughs) The story was one of the worst things to grace this earth that had a lot of potential. George Lucas is really good at ideas and at people telling him which are stupid and which are good. Because he does have good ideas, but he also has bad ideas. And now that he is the money man Lucas, people who say no are fired. This has flat characters, awful dialogue, shoehorned pop songs that don't fit, and a love story so bad that Anakin and Padme would cringe a little. This was, simply put, a terrible movie. And some films are terabad. Not even this film. I watched it once, and I literally wish I didn't. I went to give this movie a 0 out of 10, but 1 was as low as I could go. Zam, uh, wow. someone just got absolutely pulverized. <laughs> By someone, I mean George Lucas. I love the word terabad. I think we should start using that from now on. Oh, absolutely. And if they were right. This movie is terabad. <laughs> We also have some letterbox reviews, so I think we have five today. The first review we have here is by Mike Torchik, who gave it half a star out of five stars. And Mike says, stop fucking singing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fair. The second review we have is by Sylvia Garcia, who gave it one star out of five. Damn, George Lucas didn't recover from creating Jar Jar Binks, did he? (laughs) Ooh, nope. (laughs) A lot of George roasting today. (laughs) The third review is by Kowalski Rainbow Emoji, who gave it two and a half stars. This movie does not deserve such an iconic soundtrack, TBH. And agreed. Um, The songs themselves, the original songs, were all... Very good songs. They just didn't really do them that well. The fourth review is by Thomas, who gave it one star. Shakespeare and Kelly Clarkson, together at last. Name me a better movie directed by a man with seven Oscars. Ooh. (laughs) And our last and final and ultimate uh, letterbox review is by Allison, with two S's, who gave it two stars. And Allison says... Watching this, I finally understood people that don't like musicals when they say, why do they sing every five seconds? And the fact that George Lucas took five years to pick the songs he was going to use makes it so dot 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 sad. (laughs) Yup. Damn, I mean, true. Can't get any more real than that. I think that was all the reviews we have that, I mean, pretty much summed up our thoughts. but. Now we are going to give it a review ourselves. So we rate all the movies that we watch here on what we call the Gold Bloom scale. Today, maybe the, the, the George Lucas scale. 
a one out of ten being like the Star Wars holiday special so bad I could barely finish it. And a 10 out of 10 being like the Empire Strikes Back. Absolute masterpiece. Also not that bad for a bad movie in in the context of our podcast. (laughs) So just for reference, IMDb gave this a 5.8 out of 10. And the critics gave it a Rotten Tomatoes score of 18%. While the Rotten Tomatoes audience gave it a score of 52%. So, a bit of a range there. Um, Ashley, what are you thinking? Yikes, yikes. Okay. Ooh, (laughs) this one's a toughie. I agree with all of the uh, reviews that (laughs) we just mentioned. Especially, one mentioned the, the potential of this movie, which this movie, I think, had a good amount of potential. It was a decent enough plot the world was cool if they had developed it more and if they had done more world building. The Like we said, I think the romance was the best part of this movie. I love Enemies to Lovers, Beauty and the Beasts. That kind of like bickering dynamic is so good. But I just, this movie fell flat in, I think, very key places. The dialogue was mega awkward. The character designs and animation was hard to watch at times it was very uh, i'm sorry but it was very ugly um and we've already mentioned probably too much about the music (sighs) i think i'm gonna give it like a middle of the road 5.5 like a uh a force awakens type it was okay it had more potential though it could have done more but it didn't is what I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a Force Awakens out of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel a little harsh now going into my own. That's okay. I, I'll explain why first. So I feel like if you're going to retell a Shakespeare story, the story's already there, right? It's already been told. All you have to do is put it in a different setting, except it's not really a different setting because in the original Shakespeare, there were fairies and goblins and whatever also. I don't think there were goblins, actually, but there were fairies (laughs) and there were love potions in the original. So George Lucas already had the story. All he had to do was do the things that he's usually like very good at, like world building, not including people singing, um, you know, the basics. Yeah, Star Wars did, for the most part, a pretty good job with not having many people sing. Yeah, that's what you know. That's one of the things that goes really underappreciated about the <laughs> franchise. Um, no matter what you like the best, the originals, the prequels, the new trilogy, you gotta admit they did a good job of not having people sing. So, <laughs> so he didn't have very much work to do really here, and yet he still made a very disappointing movie. And I feel harsh saying that, but. I mean, we kind of talked about it. The only redeeming quality about this movie was the romance between Marianne and the Bog King, which I love. And we already said why we loved it. But really, the last 30 minutes were the only time I was invested. It really picked up then. But the beginning was so slow. And I was like, I don't really care about these characters. And I don't want to hear them sing. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. Yeah, you know what? That's fair. (laughs) It's actually really fair. I may even lower mine to just a solid five. Ooh, said potential there, but didn't quite hit the mark. Damn. 
Yikes, dude. This this movie did have a lot of potential. But you know what, George? Stick to your guns. Stick to what you know best, which is Star Wars. And um, we'll, we'll let the 12-year-old girls tell you what <laughs> they want out of a movie. Which, you know, it's probably Star Wars. Um, yep. Also, to quote a better musical, stick to the status quo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Every musical out there that comes out from now on has to take a page out of High School Musical's book, <laughs> original songs that are bops. Yes. Just amazing cast. Bop, bop, you know, bop, bop to the top. George Lucas thought he was breaking free. He was bopping <laughs> to the bottom, though. <laughs> uh, so if any of you have seen this movie, Strange Magic, and you have thoughts of it, thoughts of it... <laughs> If you suffer from thoughts of strange magic, if anybody has uh, unfortunately watched Strange Magic and you have thoughts that you want to tell us, or if you have uh, fun movies to recommend for season three, our fun season, you can always email them to us at badmoviesundaypodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up through Letterboxd or Twitter. We're at BMS Podcast. And before we go, I just want to say a huge thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing our theme song music. Um, the song is Riptide, and you can find it on his uh, website, incompetech.filmmusic.io. And another thanks to everyone who's listening. Thanks to George Lucas for making a movie that us girls can finally watch in place of Star Wars. <laughs> so in the meantime, we have been Bad Movie Sunday. I'm Ashley. I'm Amy. And we will see you next, next week. Have a good May the 4th. And remember, Han shot first. <laughs>